Amen. Let's uh, open our Bibles up to Matthew chapter 13. And uh, certainly always excited to be able to come together and as a fellowship, uh, the Northwest region, the Southwest region, the East, Richardson, Denton, I and mean, we can talk over and over and over again. But today it's just the Northwest region. So uh, very uh, uh, looking forward uh, to uh, uh, spending some time in the Bible. Uh, there's, um, as uh, I appreciate Jordan and, and leading us some thoughts, pardon me, in our giving. Uh, this earlier this year, and I said earlier this year because now we're in February, uh, a twelfth of the, a year is now over. So for those of you who are young, you don't appreciate it. When you get over 50, you're like, ugh, you know, already a twelfth of the year is over. We're already thinking about 2019. So. We did a series on Peter, First and Second Peter. We read a book as a church, Aliens and Strangers. We could have some fun right now, and it's like, what chapter are you on right now? We're in February. That means we should be finished. But we don't have time to go through every single person. So maybe I'll just ask Marcos, why are you laughing, brother? What, what chapter are you on, bro? <clears throat> And Chris is looking at you, so I should ask him second. So, we're read, we've read this, we're reading, I've read this book, I'm sure many of you have read it, um, but it's good, it's a good book, get in First and Second Peter. Then last week, we had a great lesson on prayer. And you think about, in a sense of starting off a year, understanding God and the need for us to have deep convictions on prayer. This month, as Jordan talked about, we're going to talk about the treasure principle. And there's a reason why, and, and, and there was some discussion I had with some of the, the staff and the elders about, about discussing the treasure principle like we did about four years ago. And part of it is, hey, you know what? The Dallas Church, we, we're, we're here to make disciples. We're here to grow. We're here to take the gospel in a in a city or metroplex of over 7 million people. And we could talk about the vision, like we had the youth vision about five or six years ago and how the church is investing in the future of the church and hiring people. But then one of the comments were, well, why don't we just talk about it because Jesus talked about it. And I'm like, well, yeah, well, <laughs> you know. It's like instead of really talking about a vision, you talk about, well, let's talk about what Jesus talked about. And then next week, what was the Old Testament teaching on it? So all I want to do is I want to start off here looking at this scripture in Matthew chapter 13. And I want to focus on Jesus this morning. And I want to focus on Jesus and his thoughts when it comes to the treasure principle. And it, we have, many of us, we gave out this book about four years ago. Randy Alcorn did this uh, it's a really small book, and we gave it to everybody in the church. And if you do not have one, next week we're going to pass it out. So you got to go look at your library, because the last thing I want is everyone, oh, yeah, I don't have one. And you take it, and you start reading it, and then like about two months later, oh, look, I got a copy of it. I did have one. So save, help everyone get one. So check your library. Do you have it? If you have it, great. You don't need one next week. If you don't have one, then we're going to give you one next week. 
But Alcorn wrote this book, and, and in chapter 1, he talks about uh, just this whole principle. What did Jesus teach about the treasure principle? And in Matthew chapter 13, let's pick it up here. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So Jesus tells this story of this first century Jew. And he's, he's out walking, and perhaps he's on a path, a road, and, and he wants to make a shortcut, and he, and he goes across a field. You know, probably not a very well-traveled road. And he doesn't rest because he's got to get about his business. He veers off the road. You know, the owner of this land won't mind because I'm just cutting a corner. And he's walking, probably with a staff, and he's walking... And all of a sudden, thud. His staff hits something. And it's hollowed. And curiosity, killing the cat, he starts, okay, you know what, I want to find out what this is. He stops and he, and he starts looking. There's something there. And he starts digging. And, and his curiosity is getting the best of him. And he starts digging and, and dropping to his knees. And, and he starts uncovering, pulling the dirt away. And all of a sudden, he finds a case. And he opens up the case after breaking the lock and is full of gold coins, jewelry, costly stones. This treasure is obviously buried for a very long time. Probably the, the person who put it there no longer is alive. Back then when you wanted to, to have, you had valuables, you, you would go hide it somewhere. You wouldn't put it in your house. You wouldn't put it in your hut because people would rob you. So they'd go out and under a tree, next to a rock, somewhere in the field. You'd dig a hole and bury it. And many times people would die. And even to this day, treasure is still found in this way. You know, you can imagine his hands start shaking when he starts finding something like this. In his excitement looking around and there's no homestead in the area. Probably, no, obviously the current landlord has no idea of what's buried on his property. So he closes the lid, buries the chest again, marks the spot and he turns around and you can almost imagine how he starts walking. No longer this dull, I gotta go about my day. But now it's a mentality of excitement. Look what I have found. Perhaps skipping as a young boy or a girl. What a find. It's unbelievable. I just got to have this treasure. But then he thinks to himself or herself, you know, I can't just take it. Because according to Levitical law, whoever, whatever's on this property belongs to the landowner. And being a good Jew, knowing he can't just take it, he tells himself, I've got to buy this land. I've got to buy this property because then the treasure will be mine. Just put yourself in that situation for a second. You're out walking and thud, you find something 
blow away. And you know you have to have it, but you just can't take it. I've always wondered if I drive around the road and I'd see a bag and it's full of cash and my joy of finding the cash in this bag on the side of the road. Then I'd think of myself, it's probably drug money and they're probably watching it. I'll take it home and I'm going to get shot that night. <laughs> so I can't do that. Trust me, I've thought it out already. <laughs> I could take it to the police and tell them, Oh, I found a million dollars. But the drug dealers know it was two million dollars. They'd come and kill me. I've thought it out. So he goes and sells everything he has. His house, his crops, his tool, his prize oxen. He's going to sell everything he has because he has to buy that land because he knows that the treasure is in it. And from that point, from that point, his life changes because the treasure captivates his imagination. It becomes the stuff of dreams. It's his reference point for a new center of gravity. Can you imagine that? You, you, it's, it's, this is the day. You know, it's so funny. Growing up, I appreciated that, a reference point of time. Back in Iowa, this is where I was born, back in the early 60s. And sometime in the 60s, you know, they had Woodstock and all that kind of stuff. In this little town of Wadena, Iowa, in the hills of Iowa, they had a concert. And literally tens of thousands of people came to this small little dinky town in Iowa. And from that point of reference, my cousins and aunts and uncles would always say, okay, that was, yeah, that was three years after the, the concert. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was, um, that was seven years after the concert. Yeah, I think that was like 20 years after the conference, co concert. And it was always their point of reference. Imagine finding something so valuable that became your point of reference. With every step he took, the treasure was on his mind. He experienced a radical paradigm shift. Then you have the guy finding the pearl of great value. You know, it's so funny. Bottom line is, it's merciful discoveries. On one, the person stumbles upon it. The other, the pearl, he's searching for it. But at the end of the day, it's the mercy of God allowing the treasure or the pearl of great value to be found. You know, earlier, this last year, Patty gave the little Smith girls a box. I call them the worldly girls, if you ever watch Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And, and, and Patty gave them a treasure box. And in this treasure box had incredible treasures for three little girls. It was all jewelry from, well, high school and probably Sam Moon's. <laughs> and many of you laugh because that's, that's a store of treasure for you too. <laughs> and when the girls got this box of treasure, it became their point of reference. Show the quick video. Thank you, Miss Patty. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
You know, they're all excited about the treasure and then the next, and then living life after that. The next picture. Everywhere they go, everything they do, they gotta wear their treasure. It's their point of reference. They're excited because of the treasure that they received. And it was a merciful discovery. You know the definition of smart money? The definition of smart money is money bet or invested by people with expert knowledge. Smart money is people who know what they're talking about, either investing or wagering money. You know, the parable of the hidden treasure is one of, but one of many references and illustrations Jesus made about money and possessions. Do you know 15% of everything that Jesus talked about was related to this topic of money and possessions? It was more than his teachings on heaven and hell. Why do you think Jesus put so much emphasis on money and possessions? I think we got to ask ourselves, is there a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and use and handle money? We may try to divorce our faith and our finances, but Jesus says we can't. You know, his predecessor, John the Baptist, in Luke chapter 3, verse 7, John the Baptist is out there preaching, teaching, fire and brimstone. People are coming up to him, mocking him, the Pharisees, and you brutal vipers. And other people are coming up to them because he, they're really sincere. They want to know. And they said, man, help us, teach us. Well, what fruits do we need to show of repentance? You know, I like that question. A sincere question asking a righteous person, what do I need to do? What, what kind of fruits should I show for repentance? And he gives three answers. John the Baptist gives three answers to three different groups of people in the crowd. In verse 11, he says, everyone should share their clothes and food with the poor. To the tax collectors who asked the question, he said, don't pocket extra money. And to the soldiers that were in the crowd who asked the same question, he said, be content with your wages and don't extort money. So you had the crowd, you had tax collectors and soldiers all wanting to know, what are the fruits of repentance? How do we show it? Share don't go after excessive greed. Be content with your wages and don't extort. Each answer relating to money and possessions. But you think about that. No one asked John about that. They asked what they should do to demonstrate the fruits of repentance. So why didn't John talk about other things? Well, the bottom line is because our spirituality, our repentance, our walk with God is tied to our attitude 
about money and possessions. You can't divorce them. You can't separate them. You know, you look at Jesus and his dealings with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, wanting to see Jesus, gets up on a sycamore fig tree. People mocking, give him a hard time. Here's the chief tax collector. And after Jesus wants to come to his house, what does Zacchaeus say? In verse, chapter 19, verse 8 in Luke. He says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him four times the amount. And what does Jesus say in verse 9? Salvation has come to this house. You know, what about the Jerusalem converts? After they became disciples in the early book, in the beginning of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4 and 2. It says 2 verse 45. In Acts it says, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Or a little bit later in chapter 4. All the believers were in one of heart and mind. And no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy persons among them. For time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, bought the money to, from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. You know, a little bit later, you, you see the, the occultists, those who were became disciples and, and in, in the book of Ephesus, the Ephesians occultists. And they proved their conversion genuine by burning their magic books worth literally hundreds of thousands of dollars. Look over at Acts chapter 19, verse 19. It says, a number who had practiced sorcery bought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. That's a lot of money. And then you have the poor widow. The poor widow who literally jumps off the pages of the New Testament. In Mark chapter 12, verse 44. And it says, Jesus praised her. She, out of her poverty, put everything in. You know, then you have the contrast to these people who showed their repentance by their attitude of possessions and money. The rich man. He spent all his wealth on himself. He planned to tear down his barns, big, build bigger ones, storing up things for himself so he can retire early and take life easy. And what did Jesus do? He called the man a fool. In Luke chapter 12, verse 20, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then, though, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You know, the greatest charge against him, and literally the proof of his spiritual condition, was that he was rich toward himself, but not rich towards God. And then you had the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler asked Jesus what he must do to gain eternal life. And Jesus told him, 
Sell your possessions. Give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But see, what happened with the rich young ruler is that he was obsessed. He was obsessed with earthly treasure. But Jesus called him to something higher. He called him to heavenly treasure. Because Jesus knew that money and possessions were this rich man's God. He realized that the man wouldn't serve God until he dethroned the idol of money. And you read the story, sadly, the rich young ruler considered the price too great, and he walked away from real treasure. He wasn't willing to give up everything for a greater treasure. But see, the traveler in the field was. And you ask yourself, why? Because he understood what he was going to gain. The traveler in the field, when he saw the treasure, understood the treasure, he was willing to do everything within his power to obtain that land so he could have that treasure. Because he was now having boundless joy. You know, you got to ask yourself, how do you feel about that tra traveler? Do you feel sorry for him? No, seriously, do you feel sorry for him? I mean, you know, he, he discovered something, and his discovery cost him everything he had. He literally had to sell everything to obtain this treasure. But we shouldn't pity him, should we? We should actually envy him. Because, see, his sacrifice is nothing compared to his reward. He used common sense. And he made short-term sacrifices to obtain a long-term reward. It cost him everything he owned. Yes, that's correct. You might lament. It cost him everything he owned. Yeah, you're right. But, see, it gained but in it, he gained everything that mattered. You know, you read that passage, that scripture, it's really easy to just gloss over in his joy. He found the treasure, and in his joy, went and sold everything he had to buy the field. So what's Jesus saying? No matter how great our earthly fortune, it can't be compared to the heavenly one. It's worthless in comparison to eternity. Don't waste your life on the temporary. Spend it on the eternal. You know, Matthew chapter 6, in verse 19, you see really Jesus now fully unveiling the foundation of the treasure principle. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
You know, you ever wonder where someone's heart is? You see it by their actions. Jesus says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Why? Why does he say that? Is it, is it because earthly treasures are bad? No. They're not bad. They just won't last. They won't last. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 5, it says, Cast but a glance at riches, and they're gone. For they will surely sprout ring, wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. You know, imagine your treasure next time you buy a, a prized possession. Imagine it just sprouting wings and taking off. You know, this last week was um, my youngest son's birthday. And we went to Bass Pro, and, and he bought himself a pair of sunglasses for his birthday. Nice pair of sunglasses. Prized possession. And I just, when I was writing this lesson, I just thought about those sunglasses getting wings and flying away. <laughs> or perhaps a new car. Or a house. The reality is that sooner or later, it will disappear. And Jesus doesn't give this warning because wealth might be lost. Jesus gives this warning because wealth will always be lost. It either leaves us or we will leave it when we die. There are no exceptions. Can you imagine, just for a second, imagine that you're a northerner, but you live in the south during the Civil War. And imagine you knew that the war was over, even though there were so, still some battles going on. It was over. It's done. And you had all of this Confederate money. And you knew that you were going to get out of there and go back home. But you had all this Confederate money. You know, there's, what would you do with that money? You know, there's nothing wrong with keeping it. Got to pay your bills. Got to get by. But at the end of the day, you got to understand it has a limit. It's not going to be used anywhere else. And its effectiveness where you're living now is, is the days are counting. The value is temporary. And it should radically affect your investment strategy. So you would start trading it in. Hey, I need to trade it in for something of value. You know, to accumulate vast, wealthy treasures that you can't possibly hold onto for long is the equivalent to stockpiling Confederate dollars, even though you know that they're about to become worthless. And according to Jesus, storing up for yourself earthly treasures isn't simply wrong, it's just plain stupid. Now, the cool thing about this 
is that Jesus doesn't just tell us where not to put our treasure. He actually gives us the best investment advice you'll ever hear. Jesus said, store up for yourself treasure in heaven. Jesus is all for investments. In fact, he commands it. He has a treasure mentality. He wants us to store up treasure. He's just telling us to stop storing them in the wrong places and start storing them in the right places. So what's the treasure principle? Matthew chapter 19, verse 29, Jesus makes a promise saying that those who sacrifice on earth will receive a hundred times as much in heaven. That's a 10,000% return. Of course Jesus is our ultimate treasure. Everything is pale in comparison to have a, a relationship with him, the joy of knowing him. As a person, Jesus is our primary goal, our li- what we're living for. Heaven is our secondary goal and what we're living for. But see, you've got to ask yourself, what am I living for? Who am I living for? What am I living for? Where am I living for? Because we have to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Why? Because it's right? It's the right thing to do? No. It's because it's smart. Because it'll last. We have to invest in what will last for eternity. Psalm chapter 44, in verse 16, it says, Do not be overawed when a man grows rich, when the splendor of his house increases. For he will take nothing with him when he dies. His splendor will not descend with him. You know, John D. Rockefeller was one of the wealthiest men in the world. And after he died, one of the reporters asked his accountant, how much money did John D. leave? And the response of the accountant is classic. He left it all. He left it all. He didn't take anything with him. There was no U-Haul pulled by the hearse, filled with all his money. He left it all. The fact that you can't take anything with you, but you can send it ahead, is literally the treasure principle. It's that simple. Anything we try to hold on to here will be lost. But anything we put into God's hands will be ours for eternity. And I think we as disciples have to make our mind up, our decision to give and to engage instead of to keep. To invest in the eternal versus the temporal. Only when we store up treasures in heaven, only then do when we store up treasures in heaven do we understand that we're storing, we're storing up for ourselves something that will always pay dividends. Whatever treasure we store up on earth will be left behind. But whatever we store in heaven will be waiting for us. You know, financial planners tell us, think about three years. 
or 30 years. Jesus tells us to think about eternity. Jesus, the ultimate investment counselor, takes this one step farther. He says, don't you know that your investment will be paying off long after you leave this earth? And as disciples, we need to make sure that we invest wisely. You know, over the next few weeks, midweeks, house church, Sundays, we're going to talk about the treasure principle. How we as a body view material blessings, money, wealth. What does Jesus say about it? What are some practical things that we can do to, to grow in our wisdom and maturity and have Jesus' mentality and not the world's mentality? Because, see, everything in our life that we're doing, our aim is to please God and not ourselves. Do I want to go downtown and start a new ministry? Absolutely. Do I want to invest in the, the youth for the future of this church? Absolutely. That's why we don't have a building right now. Because we're investing in the church and not a facility that is empty five days a week. Because we want to use God's money wisely. But it starts with us as disciples. What are our convictions? Is it influenced by the way we were raised? Is it influenced because of our culture? Is it influenced on how we, what we watch on TV or we read in the papers? Or is our convictions based upon what Jesus teaches? The treasure principle. Jesus' treasure principle. And I hope as we, as, as we go to God in prayer and, and as we are about to take communion and, and, and remember Jesus' sacrifice on this earth, at the end of the day, he is our treasure. Walking with him is our treasure and we want to live this life on this earth, glorifying him in all things. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father God, we come to you now this time humbled and grateful to be able to learn and to grow, to understand your convictions about giving, about how we use the blessings you've given us, God, we pray that you'll open up our hearts and our minds, that, God, that we'll want to learn and appreciate your convictions. And, Father, we won't divorce these, our faith and our finances. But, God, that we'll combine them the way you taught those who followed you 2,000 years ago. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for all the hard work that was put in the worship service. Ultimately, God, thank you for your son and his sacrifice. And in that, we can commune with you and with each other, glorifying your name. Amen.